and it's, it's an unwritten rule you don't get underneath someone when they're jumping in the air because you know they need to land now fortunately i've landed on his foot now usually when you land on someone's foot if you've played any sport you roll your ankle and that's a very annoying injury but it's whatever it's fine maybe like a week or two some ice you'll be all right my foot stayed square and all this force of me coming down at a diagonal angle, the force has gone past my ankle because it's square and then it's gone to my knee and I've just heard, I've felt and heard at the same time this crunch. And um, was it loud? Very loud. And I heard a crunch and I've let out, like I've let out a scream basically and I've, I've gone, whoa, what was that? And I remember the feeling was, so these are your two, you've got the top half of your knee, the bottom half. And basically when I heard that crunch, what I felt was my leg go like that firstly, but then because I was coming down was I felt it then go like that. <laughs> a horrible feeling and I've gone to the floor and I've slid a bit and then I've sat up and I've looked at my leg and it is like that and so I've gone I've freaked out and gone whoa so I've just grabbed my knee and this is lucky where instincts. instincts I've just grabbed my knee to be like what's happened and then when I grabbed it it popped back in Welcome back to Forge Ahead Podcast. My name is Chris, your host. As usual, we only have sexy guests. Today we have another beautiful guest with us, ladies and gentlemen. I want to introduce you guys to Jordan McDonald's. Jordan, please introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Jordan McDonald. I am a basketball player, athlete, uh, gym goer, regularly accountant in the city. And then I have my own media business doing videography, photography, uh, video editing, social media management, anything to do with media, basically. Nice. I met Jordan in the gym. Um, I do more the hypertrophy, bodybuilding type stuff with the ten to twelve reps type of type of training. Whereby I noticed Jordan and his hairy calves. He does a lot of um, powerlifting stuff and snatches and clean and jerks. <laughs> so from a bodybuilding perspective, I've never really understood the concept behind that sort of training. Could you explain how clean and jerk snatches, your kind of training, helps? your sport you play basketball right yeah so when i was in college i was playing basketball a lot um and i was also working in a gym that i met you at the time and what i learned while i was in college was the best way to train as an athlete is to do high impact explosive movements which is to do with the clean and snatches bring the barbell from the floor up to catching it near your collarbone and getting it up in the air in one swift movement that kind of training is key for your fast twitch muscle fibers and doing that just makes your movement so much more explosive. Now, bodybuilding, as good as it is, it's very slow, medium to high reps, weights, and with bodybuilding, naturally, you'll kind of stiffen up, get a bit slower, and that's fine. There's no problem with that. But with the athletic training that I was doing, it was purely for high explosive, and doing that training with the clean and snatches, that took me from being able to jump decently high and run decently fast. Once I took that lifting seriously, I was dunking the ball, I was jumping so much higher, I was running so much faster, and it just makes such a big impact on your body. Would you say genetics play a huge role? Because I've seen your dad, your dad's fucking yeah. huge. <laughs> and um, he also does the powerlifting stuff. I think yeah. he's, I've seen him coach certain people, certain people in uh, powerlifting also. Yeah. Would you say genetics play a part? Because I personally, I, I've never been able to balance the bar across my clavicle. I always feel it like choking me. Whereby with you, I just see you pull it up. Like, how do you get that sort of... Um... Um, genetics will always pay a decent amount to it. For example, most powerlifters that are at a high level, like Olympic level, they're usually very short. Like five foot five, but stocky and very flexible, which explains being able to hold the bar up here. You're not short though. I'm not short. I'm six foot, five eleven, six foot. But um, 
it does play a bit of a role, but ultimately it's all about practice and your flexibility. Um, so my dad, for example, he did discus at a very high level in his prime until he had an injury. But when he learned how to do all of these lifts, it was the only thing he did. He didn't do anything else, didn't do no bodybuilding, lifting. And the way it affected him was he just got very thick, thick, stocky. So he wasn't built like a bodybuilder. didn't have like six pack abs showing, but his strength was immense and he was very just solid and round but also just ridiculously powerful. Like seeing someone that big move that fast is terrifying. And that's exactly how it would go. So when it comes to genetics, it definitely helps if you're shorter, compact. But I mean, guys in the NBA who are like six, five to seven foot, they're doing these lifts as well. I mean, it just means it takes longer to get a bar up there, but that's all it is. Um, with catching it here, that's all about your flexibility and your mobility and your wrists and your elbows. If you'll be able to do it eventually, just doing little drills, like walking up to the barbell on a squat rack, holding it and the barbell turns. So just walking it under and having it like that, it's gonna hurt for a while, but once you get it like that, you're fine. I know you're enjoying this conversation, but I'm here to remind you that this episode is sponsored by Goodman Beard Oil, plant-based, chemical-free beard oil to soften and moisturize your facial hair. Order now, goodmanfactory.com and use code GPOD1 and become a good man today. So one thing you touched on in regards to your dad being like stocky from doing the powerlifting, how would you, why isn't powerlifting more celebrated and more common? Why do most people, well, I might be a bit naive, but why do most people, as soon as they step to the gym, gravitate towards bench press, squats, seated rows, rather than these strength movements, which are probably better for humans. It's more functional because as you said, you could jump, you could run, whereby there's nothing beneficial about having a big chest. You know, why do people gravitate more towards bodybuilding than towards powerlifting? I think personally, I think it's more for aesthetic reasons. Now, I mean, for example, you go on social media, uh, Instagram, TikTok, and you see these bodybuilders and like C-Bum, for example, and they look amazing. Chris Bumstead. Bro. Chris Bumstead, sorry. Yeah, they look amazing. You know, big boys, like you can see all the striations, see their abs. And it, let's be honest, it does look amazing. And a lot sexy. of people, it looks very sexy. It's very glorified. Women say they like that, men say they like that. But then you look at people like Eddie Hall in his prime where he was just a massive lump. No one really looks at that in a sexy way. And only people that understand just how strong and amazing that is really kind of know what's going on. So it's getting a lot bigger now. A lot of people now are doing more strong man. I mean, deadlifts are going all over social media at the moment. Um, so it's definitely getting better. But I mean, end of the day, purely for aesthetic reasons, you wouldn't want to be a, well, most people wouldn't want to be a strong man build where you've got no abs whatsoever on the holiday around a beach because let's be honest everyone wants to have abs so that's why i would say i think bodybuilders get a lot more recognition when it comes to like people say i want to look like that rather than people saying i want to be able to lift like that it's a lot it's a very different ball game now i'm gonna take that advice on for myself because i have probably what some of the shittest mobility i'm only mm -hmm. five foot eight but i can't touch my toes yeah i've had sciatica before i have pain with my lower back mm -hmm. but if you look at me topless, you think, oh my God, that guy looks like he's fit. Yeah, but you, I'm not, right? Well, this is it. You look great. Your body is amazing on a bodybuilder perspective. On the outside. On the outside, yeah. On the inside, it's damaged. Of course, yeah. Is there a way of me being sort of hybrid whereby I could still do my bodybuilding and try to look sexy on holiday, but still be functional in, in the fact that being able to run, being able to jump, blah, 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 blah. Is there a way of like merging both? Absolutely. And I mean, that's what I think I've got as well is the having the Olympic lifting in your workout routine alongside your bodybuilding you will 
um, you know the phrase like master of one and whatever the rest of that phrase is like if you can do bodybuilding and the Olympic lifts you're going to have a great mixture of having a great body but also being freakishly powerful now you're not going to be as powerful as someone that only does the Olympic lifting and you're not going to be looking as good as someone who only does the bodybuilding but you can have a very nice mixture in there so it is definitely doable it'll take a bit more work um but it's 100 it's doable and i think it's so much more healthy for you as well because i mean let's be honest how many times do bodybuilders look amazing but then it's not functional strength like sometimes they can't actually for example if you're moving furniture like they look amazing but they can't really do it that well can't run. you can't run um but then if you've got someone who's like an olympic lifter or an athlete they're probably just as strong if not stronger sometimes than the bodybuilder in like a more normal environment but then obviously if you tell them to bench they're not going to be able to bench the same as a bodybuilder so it's all would you rather be able to do the bodybuilding movements or functional movements you can have both but then you're not going to be excelling in one or the other it's completely up to you in terms of the basics of power of um, powerlifting what would you say the essential movements of powerlifting are i would say cleans um that's the action from getting the barbell from a deadlift position squatting down bringing it up in one clean movement with a squat, a hip thrust, and a shrug, and bringing it to here. Is that where they stamp on the floor as well? Um, the stamping on the floor is when they catch it. That kind of just happens naturally when you, because once you bring the barbell up as high as you can while standing, and you do your shrug, now you need to get under the bar to catch it. Now, when you're pulling yourself down with the bar, it's quite natural that your feet might come off the ground a little bit. It's completely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're not physically jumping in the air and then pulling yourself under, that's bad form. But... The slapping of the heels, that's very normal, usually. Um, but that cleans, I would say, is the best. And it's, for new people, it's probably the easiest to learn as well. The main thing, though, when you're learning these lifts is they can go very wrong and they can be very dangerous. You need to get the form injury-wise. And, for example, I don't know if you've ever seen when someone fails a lift like that, where the idea is to get the bar to come in a straight line upwards. Now, what a lot of people do by accident is they might hip thrust the bar a bit too much and it will go out, but then they're holding onto it, they bring it back, and then obviously you know what's going to happen there. You throw yourself back. And you throw yourself back on an Olympic platform, God knows what's behind you. It's not going to end well. So you need to get the form right, firstly, so that you firstly do the lift um, safely. So there's no damage to you, there's no damage to the gym, etc. Then you can start stacking on the weight, and the weight will come, but... A lot of people, as we've seen before, they might e ego lift it. And they might just say, yeah, I can do this. I'm not doing it correctly. If you do the clean wrong, you try and bicep curl it. You try and bicep curl that kind of weight, you just rip your bicep off. It's, it's not a good look. But once you get it right, you'll be able to start stacking the plates on like there's no tomorrow. And then you're just going to notice your body's so explosive. It's amazing. So just based off of what you said there, I'm thinking of it from a bodybuilding perspective again, whereby when I train, I know the specific muscle I'm trying to work. If I'm working, I don't know, legs and butt legs and calf, mm. back and bicep, chest and tricep, whatever. When you do these clean movements, which specific, I know it's explosive and fast twitch fibers, I yep. think you said, but which specific muscle groups are being worked? So the beginning of it from getting a barbell from the floor upwards to a standing position, it's the same as a deadlift, it's gonna be your quads, um, your glutes and your lower back. That's the standard. And then the next part is kind of like a hip thrust motion. That bit is going to be a bit of your calves because the idea is when you come up, you go onto your toes and then your lower back and your glutes again because you're tense in that and that's going to give the barbell a bit more acceleration. And then the last bit is your traps because the last bit for the loft is to go like that as quick as you can. That brings the barbell up. And then after that, it's just getting under the barbell quick enough. The action of getting the barbell 
getting yourself under the barbell quick enough after you've stood up with all that force, that makes your fast twitch muscle fibers go crazy. Because doing that while the weight's going upwards, it, it's mental. And the way that your body adapts to that, that's where all the power come from. And then once you catch it, then if you catch it really low, which you'll do when you've got a lot of weight on it, then standing up, it's a standard squat. And if you're then doing an overhead press, it's the same, same kind of stuff with your legs where you just little dip down, force yourself up as high as you can with your feet, press it in here. So from what you said, it's a lot of lower body. Lower body, legs, um, traps, lower back, and then the end of it will be your traps. No chest. No chest whatsoever, no, because, I mean, to activate your chest, you need to do like a push-in motion in front of you. There's no situation in these lifts where you're pushing like that. So, but these kind of lifts you wouldn't do for, for example, I'm trying to think of what sport would you would need strong chest. I can't really think of one, if I'm honest, apart from a lifting sport. I can't really think of one. So that's why that's not really in there. But things like you need powerful legs for all sport. Yep. Um, your traps, you don't really need for a lot of sport. But if you can generate a lot of power in your traps, you'll find you can generate a lot of power everywhere else as well. So that's just, that's just a byproduct of it. So if I wanted to do this hybrid whereby I'm still a functional, strong human being, functional, strong man, I could run, I could jump. I could perform great in the bedroom. <laughs> I could do everything I need to do. Yeah. I could potentially then do maybe like a split, maybe two, two, two days a week of powerlifting and then the other two days, sexy training, chest, yeah. bicep, tricep. Aesthetic training in a way. Right. I mean, I'd recommend, especially when you're starting out, once a week, maybe once every other week, start with the Olympic lifting because it really taxes your body. Just doing, I remember when I took a break for like six months and I came back to try it again just because I thought I've not done this in a while. Let me try I did one set, three reps of just cleans, and it was only it was a 20 kilo on each side, so 60 kilos total. That's usually nothing for me to be able to do as a warm-up. I did three reps of it, and I was gassed. It was, I had to sit down for like five minutes just to hype myself up for the next one. I think I managed like four sets of it, and I was, I was done. I couldn't do any more. So especially when you're first learning, even though you're doing no weight, just doing the bar, take it very easy, maybe once a week, see how you feel, because your body's going to have a different kind of aches. You know DOMS. You're going to ache in a different way. You're going to ache in places you didn't think you could ache. And once you get used to that, then if you want to try it twice a week, that's fine. But I wouldn't recommend, unless you're going to do it professionally, don't go more than twice a week on it. But you could do what I was doing was I was doing my leg session as a bodybuilder, like squats, uh, your leg press, your, your extensions, curls. And then midway through the session or maybe at the end of the session, I'd do some cleans. And that, in that, that was my way of getting like a hybrid body out of it. And it works very well. Just going to show off my knowledge, by the way. He said DOMS, not condoms. DOMS means delayed onset muscle soreness. Yeah. That's the only bit of uh, <laughs> knowledge I remember from being a PT. Basically, it's just a glorified way of saying the pain you feel after gym. Yeah. Um, one thing you did touch on is clean and jerks, but I think there's some other movements, right? Which other ones are you clean, your jerk, you've got your sort of cleanest to here. Your jerk is, I believe, when you bring it to up here. And then you've got the overhead one the one where you catch it up here you don't bother right, right. you don't bother here you go straight up to there right. the name escapes me but you've got the free movements there and the other one as well is when you um you'll catch or you might start or you'll just catch the bar here and then from there you just go to the top as well in like an explosive way not shoulder press an explosive way those are your four main ones now pardon my french i'm not sure if we're allowed to swear on this uh, podcast but um i have had some gym injuries before and i'm very very wary or scared let me not even say wary i have fear when it comes to doing certain movements for example on the hack squat machine about six years ago i actually tore something in my shoulder and from squatting wrong i had ligament damage on both of my knees ouch 
whenever I see these powerlifters doing these snatches, doing these cleans, I always think, fuck, man, hey, it looks like something could really go wrong. Yeah, the knees are going through it. <laughs> yeah. What sort of injuries would you say are common in like the powerlifting world? In the powerlifting world, your shoulders will go quite a lot, especially if you're doing the... What do you mean go? Um, I've seen a lot of people dislocate on a... Backlift is called a snatch, just remembered it. So on a snatch, when you're catching the barbell up here... Like we spoke about earlier, if you're doing the form wrong and you're bringing a barbell back towards you with force and you catch it up there, your shoulder could just pop out like there's nothing going on there. Um, catching a barbell here, there's nothing to say your elbow won't just pop out. So are these more dis dislocations? Dislocations. Um, if you're going to tear anything, then you might tear something in your knees like I've done in the past, not doing the lifting, but playing ball. That wouldn't surprise me if you tear something there. Back spasms, you probably get quite a bit because you're doing so much explosive force through your lower back. You, it's, if you're not used to it, it's going to feel very weird, which is why I always say start as lightweight as you can and get used to it because your body's going to react in a very different way. Speaking of that, your knee injury, do you mind? Yes. Yeah, so my left knee, I blew out my ACL and my meniscus cartilage during a summer league basketball game. This was, when was this? This was just before lockdown, which makes things even worse. But it was a surgery for it. Has yeah, so it was the last game of the season. Um, and it's quite funny as well, because when I was in the warm-ups, the warm-up line, doing the layups and doing whatever you want, I was dunking the ball like there was no tomorrow. I felt so light on my feet. I was jumping like there was, like there was no ceiling. It was crazy. But then, and I felt amazing. I felt confident. The game starts. I'm playing really well. I'm quick on my feet. I'm not getting out of breath. I'm just in the zone. And then uh, opposite team shoots, they miss. My team gets rebound. I'm on the fast break. I'm running down there. There's a defender behind me. So I'm thinking, this is sweet. Just got to catch a ball. And I'm there for the open layup. My teammate passes the ball. It's way too high in the air. But I think, oh, I might be able to grab it. I jump up. Somehow I manage to get it. Unfortunately, the defender has now got underneath me. And it's, it's an unwritten rule. You don't get underneath someone when they're jumping in the air because, you know, they need to land. Now, unfortunately, I've landed on his foot. Now, usually when you land on someone's foot, if you've played any sport, you roll your ankle. And that's a very annoying injury, but it's whatever. It's fine. Maybe like a week or two, some ice, you'll be all right. My foot stayed square. And all this force of me coming down at a diagonal angle, the force has gone past my ankle because it's square. And then it's gone to my knee. And I've just heard, I've felt and heard at the same time, this crunch. And um, Was it loud? Very loud. And I heard a crunch and I've let out, like I'm, I've let out a scream basically. And I've, I've gone, whoa, what was that? And... I remember the feeling was, so these are your two, you've got the top half of your knee, the bottom half. And basically when I heard that crunch, what I felt was my leg go like that firstly. But then because I was coming down, because I felt it then go like that. <laughs> a horrible feeling. And I've gone to the floor and I've slid a bit. And then I've sat up and I've looked at my leg and it is like that. And so I've gone, I've freaked out and gone, whoa. So I've just grabbed my knee. And this is lucky. Instinct. where Instincts, I've just grabbed my knee to be like, what's happened? And then when I grabbed it, it popped back in. We'll get on to why that's a good thing that happened later. But that happened, and then I couldn't feel my left leg, basically. And as I was sitting there, over the next 10 seconds, it just started getting fatter. <laughs> I've never seen my legs swell up like this before in my life. But that happened. I had to get carried off the court. Um, and then my dad picked me up, and he took me to the hospital because I couldn't drive to the hospital. I drive a manual car. There's no chance I was going to change gear. Um, on the way there, my leg has swollen up ridiculously. I get to A&E wait a few hours, um, get to the x-ray. They say, x-ray's fine, your bones aren't broken, but we need to schedule for MRI because I think we know what's happened. Ligament. Ligament. So went to the MRI two weeks later and it's the ACL. The ACL is your crucial... Anterior crucial ligament? Anterior crucial ligament. And that sits, that's, that, that's the one you need. You need that one. And that sits right in the middle 
Only reason I know ACLs from football, and whenever there's a football ACL injury is out for like six months, yeah. three three to six months minimum. And that's with the best grade like um, care oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that ligament, Physio yeah, and everything. That ligament went and we did the MRI and it said, look, ligament's gone completely. The ACL, it's not like a tear, it's snapped clean off. But your what makes it worse is your meniscus um, cartilage, which is the little uh, ball of cartilage that sits in between your bones so, like, so you're not grinding your bones against each other. That's also torn and been misplaced. It's not even next to your knee anymore. All from that one movement. From that one movement. So your ACL is gone, your meniscus cartilage is gone. You, you need to basically rebuild your knee. We need to operate. I said, like, oh, great. And then two weeks later, lockdown happens. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. So I'm going to have to, usually the waiting list is like two years. And I'm like, oh, this ain't good. Jordan walked here, by the way. <laughs> Just about. And he still plays basketball. I still play basketball now. Basketball. Yeah, we're much better now. Basically, that happened. Now, I'll be honest, when I went for a checkup, and they said to me, yeah, the wait list is like two years. I said, look, I lied a bit. I said, I'm quite high up in basketball. You know, I've got the England trials coming for the Tokyo Olympics. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nowhere near that level. He's Nigerian. <laughs> oh, oh, no. I'm nowhere near that level. But I said, look, I've got big tryouts coming in a year. Like, I need to get this sorted. I said, okay, we'll get you a specialist. They got me um, this uh, old man coming. Lovely old man. And he does like the football players when their ACL goes. He said, look, we're going to sort you out in a month's time. We'll get you in. They got me in, he done my done my knee, done a surgery, complete success. Um, there was planning to do like two keyhole insurgents, but they did a keyhole and then they realized we need to basically just open up What's his the knee. Process of surgery. I've never had so I've broken my hand before and a, a well, a slight hairline fracture on my hand. Mm. Um slight hairline fracture on my hand, a ligament issue on both knees and something with my shoulder, but none of them ever needed surgery. No surgery. Okay. I've always been fucking scared of <laughs> surgery. I always think they're going to knock me out. I'm going to wake back up. I'm not going to know okay. where I am. Your legs I go on die the during, the, during the, no, seriously, seriously. No, like a lot of people some, fear it. Yeah. yeah. But what was that process like for you having surgery on your knee? Well, the process was, I just wanted the surgery because, excuse me, it was a matter of, I was able to walk again after two or three weeks, but I had no ACL. So on the crutches or you on So I was on crutches for the first two weeks and then after that I was pretty much able to walk. But do you use the toilet? Like how how's your uh for the first shower? for the first two weeks it's very stressful where I'd have to like, you know, go in with the crutches, lower myself down. Um if I was standing still, I was fine. But if I had to move anywhere, I needed the crutches. But once the swelling went down and my knee looked normal, the problem I had was I could walk around in a straight line, but if I had to turn, I had to do it super slow because what kept happening was I would walk forward. I'd be like, oh, I need to turn. I forgot I've got this issue. I go to turn and my leg just pops out. But it pops out and there's no pain, but it shouldn't be doing that. Clearly, your leg shouldn't be popping out. Um, so that's the stage I was at. And I was like, well, there's no chance of me playing basketball. There's no chance of me lifting, training legs anytime soon because anything just makes it pop out. It needs surgery if I want to well, be an active human again. So went for the surgery. We had to pre-op. Um, Pre-op is where you just go to the hospital beforehand, like maybe a week or two before, they take your blood, to, um, your pressure, they ask you loads of questions, see if you're on anything, if you're not on anything, just to make sure that you're ready for surgery in a week or so. Uh, got that done. I hate getting blood drawn, by the way, it sucks. I know you donate blood quite I often. I love to yeah. get blood, I love watching them put the so good. Yeah. I love to see the blood come yeah. out, I like to touch the warm bag of blood. Oh, like I can't. I'm a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it, man. That needle going in, I'm like... It's a big needle as well. Big needle. And they're like, sharp scratch, I'm like, do it, oh, do it. Uh, well, well done for you, but I can't do that. But they did that, took the blood, and then they said, yeah, you're all good for surgery next week. So I get to the hospital, uh, I see the surgeon, I see the doctor, everything's fine. They said, look, this is the plan, two keyholes, and that should be it. Um, what happened? They wheeled me into the operating room. 
I was first in the morning, so that's great. Um, I remember they were hooking me up, they're putting like needles in my hand or whatever, and I'm just, I'm out, I'm gone, and then I wake that's, up. That's anesthesia. Anesthesia, yeah. They didn't um, usually they like tell you they're gonna Morphine? do it. Or what drug was no it? idea. Okay. No idea. I think it was a local, whatever that was. Okay. But they, okay. <laughs> maybe, um, might have been ketamine actually. Yeah, yeah I think it might have been. Um, but they did a prick in the hand. I didn't realize that was the anesthesia, and I just conked out and I was gone. And then when I next woke up. This poor nurse. <laughs> There's this man um, just checking up on me, and I've woke up and I've freaked out. So I don't know what's going on. I've grabbed him. <laughs> He's gone, whoa, whoa, relax, relax, relax. <laughs> I said, sorry. And then one thing that happened to me was I needed to throw up immediately. Um, I said to him, if you got a bowl, because I can feel something coming. He said, yeah, 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 gave me the bowl. I'm just chundering away in this bed next to him. I was like, oh, sorry, mate. Like, <laughs> I don't like it when people throw up, and I'm doing it right next to him, but obviously he's used to it. Um... But yeah, threw up in a bowl. I said to him, like, why did that happen? He said, oh, because when they put the tube down, you need to breathe. There's a lot of lube and everything that they put down. And, you know, it's not, it's quite natural for you to throw up afterwards. But that's fine. Uh, wheeled me back to my room. Um, I couldn't feel my leg at this point. I, didn't, I completely forgot I had surgery. But then I eventually looked down and my leg was huge. It was so fat. Covered in bandages. Um, I've got some pictures that I can send you afterwards. And um, it was just... There was no chance of me bending it or anything. And I was thinking like, wow, this really hurts. Like at that, at that point, I was actually kind of regretting the surgery because I was like, I'm in so much pain right now. I'm working from home. This was before lockdown when everyone was working from home. So working from home at this point wasn't really, it wasn't supposed to. So me working from home, my job was giving me pressure about it. I didn't like it because I didn't understand. And I was thinking, oh, this ain't good. I probably shouldn't have done this. Two, three days go by. They said, yeah, you can go. You can, you're discharged. You're fine. Um, dad picked me up. Drove me home, uh, drove me to his place first to look after me for like a week because they said to me, your first two weeks are going to be hell. You're not going to like it. Pain? Pain and you need to, the physio came and saw me. I left this out. The physio came and saw me as soon as I woke up and said, look, we need to bend your leg. I said, what? Like, I can't. Two days after surgery? Immediately after surgery. They said, you need to start moving it now. Otherwise you're going to get scar tissue. You're going to be stiff. You're not going to be able to bend it or get full motion. And so I'm laying there and she's like this little Asian woman, so strong. And she just grabbed my foot and just started cranking it. And I was like, oh, I was in, I was. Wasn't it bleeding a bit more? So it bled through the night. Um, I felt, I woke up and there's something warm on my leg. I looked down and there's just blood everywhere. So I called the nurse over and she's, thankfully she just like changed me while I was there. Really nice of her. But um, you have to start moving your leg as much as you can immediately. And it's so painful. To this day, I've not had anything that painful in my life. And the worst thing was, the two weeks that I was at dad's, the pain of going from laying down with my leg elevated to standing up, you would literally feel the blood rushing through your whole knee. And the pain of feeling the blood rushing through, that was excruciating. I'd like, if I need to go to the toilet, I'd have to get up five minutes before I knew I had to go because I'm going to have to stand there for five minutes and like nearly scream. And it happened every time. It, it was horrible, but bless my dad. He looked after me quite well there. And uh, yeah, what happened after that? Two two weeks go by, swelling comes down a bit. It's a bit easier to move around. I still need crutches, but it's fine. Uh, dad takes me home. I'm working from home as usual. And then as the weeks go by, I'm just starting to do a bit of moving home at home myself, sitting down with my leg off the edge and just trying to straighten it. Was this supplied to you by your physios? Yeah, so the physio said you should try and do all of this. Um, and my first physio meeting was like a month after the surgery because I said, you're not going to be able to get here within a month anyway. So come afterwards and we'll do some exercise. But for now, just try and straighten your leg, bend it, really try and force it. And my leg even does it now. I can show you afterwards. But if I flex and bend my knee, you hear it cracking. 
like crackling like Rice Krispies. Like that's because I've never done the full range of motion as you should. I've got enough motion, but I never did it properly. So I'm gonna have to deal with that for the rest of my life. Does that cause you pain? Is there any long-term effects of that? The pain, not really. I think in the future when I'm like 50, 60, it's gonna probably be some sort of walking pain. But for now it's just, if anything, I find it funny when I move and you just hear some cracking going on. This, oh, I find it funny. But at the moment, there's no problem with it whatsoever. But yeah, that was the that was the leg injury. I mean, it took because this happened during lockdown as well. My physio started in lockdown, so going to the hospital, as we know, was so difficult to get in there, get a slot going, um, and the rehab should have took a year max. And like we said earlier with the footballers, when they do the ACLs, they usually back within like six months because they've got the best rehab money can buy every day. They're working on it. They've got the best people coming to see them. All I had was should go to the gym and do as much movement as you can. We can't. Gyms are shut. Lockdown. They say, try and lift very low weights when you can. I can't. Gym shut. I've got no weights at home. Um, they say, go for walks if you can. You can do that. That's fine. But anything else, like go see a, um, a physio, can't. Lockdown. So how, how did all of this affect your confidence and your, because obviously you've been an active guy. You've been mobile. You drive. You go to the gym. You go for walks. You might go on a date. All yeah. of a sudden now you need crutches. I don't know. If I'm thinking of that as myself, mm. I'll give you an example. It's nothing compared to your sickness, but whenever I get the flu, it feels like I'm going to die. Mm. Man flu is real. I know women oh, go through so much more. <laughs> they go through menstruation, their periods and body changes. But to me, my lowest times that I've ever had twice is when I've had the flu and I'm bed bound. I can't move. I can't help myself. I can't make a cup of tea. You I feel helpless, don't you? Like it helpless, really messes you up. Yeah. Helpless. And unfortunately for me, I don't live next to most of, our, um, most of my family. So I'm literally on my own. And those are the two times I've actually, not suicidal, but I've actually thought if I die here, like no one would actually know. No one's got any idea. Let yeah. alone you, whereby it's the knee. You can't actually move. How did that whole process affect you? Felt very incapable of looking after myself. And I've got um, quite like being independent and being able to look after myself. So being in a situation where I have to rely on someone now, it felt, I feel like embarrassing is the wrong word, but I just didn't like, having to say to people, um, you know, if you want to hang out, you're going to have to come over here because I physically can't go see you unless you pick me up. Well, how about like your daily movements? Like, I don't know, you need to pop to Sainsbury's or... No chance, no. I was I was having to, um, if I needed groceries, I was using Uber Eats or Deliveroo or I would ask a friend. I'd be and like, did you gain weight then from eating Uber Eats rather than... So I didn't gain weight because when I was going through rehab, I was quite strict on myself where like you can't be eating junk food because firstly, if you eat junk food, it's not good for your body anyway. So if you're eating crap and you're trying to um, recover, you're going to stunt your recovery anyway. So at that point, I was eating well. But then, you know how like Uber Eats, you can send them to the shops. I was having to do that if I had no one else to go to the shops with me. Um, luckily, I've got a good support group around me. And if I needed anything, they would go to the shops, drop it off, and I'll chuck them some money, and it's fine. So I was in a very fortunate situation where, even though I felt a bit embarrassed to have to ask for help, help was there. So I was very lucky in that situation. But... How it affected me, it just felt quite, I want to say humiliating in a way where I had to, I had to ask for things for once. I didn't like it, but it makes you, makes you appreciate who's there for you. So it was a good thing, really. Were there certain foods that aided your recovery? I've heard like spinach is a superfood, um, a lot of fats, wal uh, walnuts, almonds, tiny eggs, yeah. avocados. Were there like certain things that your physio told you to? So I was never advised on certain things I should eat. I was told like, don't eat bad food which is obviously you get told it every day, but I was never advised like these are like superfoods for you. So I never really took it that far. Um, I never really researched like that. I just knew don't eat McDonald's every day because obviously that's bad for you. So 
in that situation, I was just, my appetite was nowhere near what it is now because I didn't want to eat that much. But as it got better, I was then just eating, you know, three, four meals a day and I was getting a lot better. And as I started doing that, the body started recovering a lot better as well. So this is what I don't understand with certain people and Jordan's one of those people. You go through this whole trauma, you damage your knee, you destroy it, you go through surgery, you wake up with blood down your thigh and you still do the power. Now you're fully recovered, you still do the powerlifting again. It's fun. Are you crazy or what's, what's happening? But that's why you go through the surgery and that's why you did it in the first place. It's like you do it, you had a hiccup. Yeah, I mean, it's a big hiccup, but you had a hiccup. Massive hiccup. Massive hiccup. Bloody but, hiccup. Yeah, bloody hiccup, literally. But it's very satisfying to know like you went through that. And now my left knee is stronger than the right knee. Is the left one the one you had? The surgery? left one's a surgery, yeah. And wow. that's now stronger because the way they did it is the new ligament, the new ACL, they took it from a hamstring. So they took out some muscle fibers from the hamstring, folded it up and then stuck it back in. And they said to me, now your original ACL was like this thin, for example. Your new ACL is like twice as thick. Now that should never break again unless you do something ridiculous. So now the left knee is actually stronger than the right knee. It feels good to be able to squat like I used to, power lift like I used to, jump in basketball like I used to. It feels like, not only does it feel like I've gone through something quite traumatic that some people just take that and never play again, to now I'm playing again and I feel stronger and I feel even better than I was back then. It's quite satisfying. Crazy. It's crazy. It's so painful, but I mean, it took me like two, three years, but eventually you get there. Some people it takes one year, some people it takes six months, some people just don't do it. But the fact that I eventually got there and I enjoy playing basketball so much, it's, it's, it's the way to let off steam. It's, it's a really good hobby for me. I, I like it a lot. So there's no way I was just not going to do it ever again. So if basketball was pulled from you, then that sort of sounds like it was a ther- like basketball, something therapeutic for you. I'd say so. So you'd probably always play it no matter what injuries, no matter what life throws at you. Yeah. I mean, it's, therape- it's therapeutic, but there's also times where you play like shit. <laughs> and it's not therapeutic anymore you know when you're in the gym and you have a bad session you're like oh, i'm never doing this again like that happens of course but it's it's just something i enjoyed and my dad played it at a high level and i saw him playing it when i was growing up so obviously it's kind of engraved in my brain to play it and i do enjoy it it's a great sport i, I suck at football so i prefer basketball because i'm just a bit better right and um yeah it's just my usually it's on a saturday morning it's my it's my chill out it's it's for me to kind of do my own thing and reward myself for all the work I'm doing and everything. I get it. I get it. Because I, I could relate with rugby. You play rugby, yeah. I'm exactly. 31. I've been playing rugby since I was 16. So that's about 16, 15 years or so. Wow. Um, never played it professionally. I played for a pub team. I've never got paid for it. Mm. I trials for Essex, trials for some other teams, but I never really took it serious. But there's something I always gain and I always get from, even if... I don't play like six months, a year. I don't even train. I never turn up to the training. I just yeah. turn up to the <laughs> game, game, play and go. But I'm a pacifist. I don't really believe in violence. I don't really, I mean, if I have to, if it, if push came to shove, fine. But I'm not one to ever hit someone or believe in fighting. But when I play rugby, it's like, there's another side of me that I get to tap into. I don't want to call it like a dark side, but I love it. Like more, I get smashed, but I can also smash someone else. More physical side that you don't get to show in. It's just beautiful. Like mm. you just run around. And then it's different to football whereby people shout and swear at, at the ref. Rugby, you have to call the ref, sir. Very and respectful, yeah. isn't it? Very so respectful. What's, what's, the, what's the saying they say? It's played by... Rugby is a is a rough man sport played by gentlemen and football is the opposite. Yeah. 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 So um, with what you're saying about the basketball, how do you describe that feeling that 
joy or passion or that happiness that you gain from it what does that mean to you it's the endorphins that get released and we all know about these endorphins when you if you train in a gym or you go for a run you do something to get your body pumping get the heart rate going and then usually afterwards you feel better for it sometimes you don't but that euphoric feeling of like you've just done something you enjoyed doing whatever activity you just did that translates to everyone me playing basketball you going to rugby when we're in a gym and you have a good session that's just i feel like everyone should have that i feel like everyone in an ideal world should have like a, a sport or an activity that just keeps them fit but they also like doing it when you say everyone males and females as everyone well? like everyone should do it all age groups i mean like kids can go to like a kids football or kids basketball whatever i feel like everyone should do some sort of physical activity whether it be football basketball rugby um fighting jiu-jitsu muay thai like those guys that do combat sports they're they're just different breed of they're people. Killers, they're, man. They're, they're killers, but they're killers. so nice and so yeah. calm. Because yeah. they know. <laughs> yeah. They know they'll kill you in they, two seconds. They know if things pop off, they'll be all right. Yeah. And I did a bit of Muay Thai when I used to work at that gym. And the guys that I used to train with, um, the coach was a like a world title, like just a dangerous man. And I hated sparring with him because he'd always beat me up. But if you talk to him in a normal setting, he's the nicest guy on the planet. Like he just so friendly but then there's the switch like we was talking about a minute ago we get to show a different side of yourself do some damage but still in a very respectful way i feel like everyone should have some sort of hobby and i feel like everyone at some point should also learn some sort of combat sport as well because it really kind of humbles your mind teaches you that you should never fight in the street because anything can go wrong but also it really teaches you to have respect for people as well because anyone can fight if they know what they're doing and it really changes how things go so i really couldn't agree with you more I've done two jiu-jitsu lessons before and I was really, really humbled. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also, it might be a controversial opinion, but I think a lot of these stabbings and 16-year-olds, 15-year-olds running around the street, you know, with so much testosterone and energy in them, but not necessarily knowing how to direct that. Mm. I think a sport, a martial art would actually really, really help them. Yes. I don't want to incriminate myself on camera, but I've done, or oh, I nearly did something extremely stupid when I was younger. Mm. But... After my two jujitsu lessons as an adult, I have the utmost respect for this for these guys. So as as I said, I'm only five foot eight. Probably now I've lost weight. I'm probably about eighty six kilo. My instructor was skin and bone, mm. tiny guy. They're the dangerous ones, isn't it? Bro, he flipped me. Yeah. When yeah. I say flip me, I'm looking at him. <laughs> Next thing I know, I'm looking at the ceiling. Next thing I know, I'm on the floor in less than a second. But yeah. he did it in the most gentle way because it was my first time. I was like, Chris, right? This is how you do a sweep. Mm -hmm. So he held me by the by the gi, flipped me up. And before you know it, I'm on the floor. I'm like, how the hell has this little man just moved me? Yeah. But yeah, I couldn't agree with what you said more. Boy, girl, I've, I've, I've always said it to myself. If I ever have a daughter, certain things she has to do. Same thing if I have a son, whether it's dancing, something to get you comfortable with your body, know your body. Swimming, life skill. I'm a shit swimmer at the moment and I wish I did more lessons. I'm going to do them again. That's good. And also some sort of fighting, whether that's jujitsu, martial arts, mm judo whatever it is you have to know how to defend yourself there's this guy i follow him israel adesanya adesanya he's a um ufc former oh, i know this guy yeah. former champion yeah. style bender and i look at him like bro this guy's like six foot four he does crumping where they do all, all of those kind of movements but he'll kick you send you flying yeah he'll will touch the middle of your head <laughs> like imagine the 
flexibility. You're in control of your body. Like mm. everything is in control. You you know how to use your arms, your elbows, your knees. You could kick, you could punch. So versatile. So crazy. versatile, you know? So yeah. And the flexibility for that is crazy. I, mean, I can't touch my toes. <laughs> that hurts. Like, standing up hurts, but then these guys can do anything, bend their body in any way. It's, it's such a discipline. It's Gymnastics, crazy. I think, is actually... Gymnastics is amazing. Yeah. yeah. When I eventually have kids, I'm think definitely going to encourage them to try mm. gymnastics because these gymnast kids are so strong yep abs like you've never seen it before they know how to work their body and then if you're good at gymnastics at a young age you can do i'm confident you can do any sport you want mm. in the world in the future and your body will be able to mm. do it you could do that S yeah such an amazing um physique as well mm. gymnast is crazy i can't stop thinking about your knees man <laughs> if i'm totally honest with you because i'm thinking of my knees and i'm thinking is it actually good for me to should i consider having surgery for both of mine but what was your mindset during the injury period? What would you tell someone else who is who has gone through or is about to go through such a thing? I mean, if you're going through like a common injury, then it's not that bad because you know things are going to get better with a bit of uh, textbook rice, which is rest, ice, compression, compression, elevation. Yeah, that's for like standard injuries. But if you've got an injury like I did where you need surgery really because you're not going to be able to be a basic human at that point, it's very scary, for example, if you've never gone under before, like you were saying earlier, it can be quite daunting. But I think you need to understand that in this day and age, 2023 now, the medical industry and surgery is amazing. Like NHS though. NHS, yeah, you say this, but we do have very capable people in the NHS. If you can go private, happy days go private. But we can't deny the fact that we have very capable people in the NHS and surgery nowadays is so good that anything with like an ACL or an injury with your tendon going, you're in good hands, you're gonna be okay. The hardest part is the rehab, of course, because you've done your surgery and you'd like to think surgery done and back to normal. That'd be amazing if you can do that, but it's not like that. You, you know, your body's just been opened up. It doesn't like that. It's had changes made to it, which it didn't do itself. It doesn't like that. It's gonna swell up and it's just gonna be in excruciating pain. It's not gonna let you do things that you like to do. And it's really going to tax you mentally when you start seeing things going wrong. Because, for example, when my, so my leg was swollen ridiculously after the surgery, two, three weeks later, once I'm able to stand by myself and not be in too much pain, I was still at a point where I can't actually do any exercise on it. And I could, every day, I could see my left leg just getting smaller. My quads are getting smaller. Obviously, I've been to the gym quite a lot, so my legs were quite big. I can just see my left leg just shrinking muscle atrophy i think yeah yeah and it's just going because i'm not using the muscles anymore and my um my hamstring was in pain as well because obviously they cut that off to replace the acl and it's quite nerve-wracking just seeing all your progress going to the extent that it went where my left leg literally looks like it's never done a squat in its life there was no muscle there there was nothing if i tried to flex it there was nothing and i've never seen my leg be like that since before i first lifted a weight and seeing that compared to my right leg, which is now because it's been overcompensating, it's gotten even bigger. It was it was a horrible feeling where you think I've got so much work to do because you, you're starting again. Now, the mindset you need to have is that you will eventually get better, and you will, as long as you stick with it, you're going to get back to what you was, if not even better. But it's going to take time. You need to be patient. I mean, for example, if you're an avid gym goer like you are, you know patience because you're going to get bigger, you're going to get stronger. It's just going to take a while. It's very frustrating when you're going through an injury because you want it to be done now because you're like, oh, the next season's not, I don't want to play. You can't. You need to take it as slow as you can. Make sure everything's healed perfect. If you do it like that, once everything's healed, you're going to be in such a good spot when you finish. A lot of people rush it. 
And you might have seen it a few times on TV with like footballers where they rush to rehab, they get back in five months when it should have been six months, they snap it again. Now you're going, now you're restarting, you're going through the whole thing again. You just need to understand that it's going to be okay. You're going to be strong. You're going to struggle with the basic things for a while. Don't let it, it's going to affect you. Try not to let it affect you too much. I'm not, I'm not going to try and say don't let it affect you because it will. You're like, no one's that strong in the head to just say, oh, it's fine. I'm going to be okay. You're not. At times you're going to think, oh, what's the point? I might as well just not train anymore because that's the easy way out. But if you just keep with it, you will get back to where you was. And that's, that's the only thing you can say is just keep going slowly every day. Every, what I was doing, for example, was every day I try and do something a little bit more than the day before. Whereas something like going down the stairs was excruciating. Like I would have to both hands on the banister, go down right leg first and then slowly put the left leg down because that was a painful one. And I would think, right, let me try and do one step as normal like I used to before. Be painful as hell, but I do it. I'm like, okay, cool. Next day, let's try and do two steps. Maybe can't do it. Maybe can do one and a half like a start and then I have to grab the rail, etc. But just something really small like that once it starts compounding after a while and you realise, oh, I just got down the stairs by myself, completely fine, didn't have to hold onto the rail, it's concrete proof. And just little things where you can prove to yourself that you're getting better will help you massively. Progress. Progress. You need to track your progress massively because that's the only thing that's going to remind you. For example, if I'm going to put it into another way of when you start training, you're trying to put muscle on, you see yourself every day in the mirror. If you see yourself every day, you're not going to think you're making that much progress, are you? Because yeah. you don't notice the tiny changes. But if you don't see someone for like two, three weeks, and then you see them again, how many times are they like, whoa, you look, you look different, you look big. And you're like, do I? I feel the same. It's the exact kind of thing with going through um, physiotherapy and going through a rehab. Just something that you can track for yourself is going to help you so much. Nice, nice. Words of wisdom. Mm. Oh, seeing as we're still on the topic of fitness-ish, Let's talk about gym etiquette. So we've both been in different gyms. We've both been in gyms for years and years. Yes. What would you say are some of the unwritten rules that a lot of people, men and women, don't follow in the gym? Uh, the main thing, as you probably know from when I used to work at the gym, was people didn't put their weights away. Oh, it's, Just put your weights away. Like The worst thing, I don't mind if you're using a ridiculous amount of um different weights and different equipment for yourself that's fine it's a bit annoying but it's fine if you're going to do that but if you're just going to i don't understand how someone can just finish what they're doing see the mess because they're probably picking up their phone and their water which was next to whatever they was using see it and just walk off i'm like surely and some of these people you know they've got kids like i bet you tell your kids to put their toys away i hope but you can't even put your weights away like it's just it's that's the main thing that annoys me and i'm sure it annoys a lot of people as well um that's the main thing for me, really. Uh, there's, there's other things that people do which can be annoying, but you're in a shared space, and either way, you shouldn't really notice it yourself anyway. But what about, what about you? What's one for you? For me personally, um, I'll taste people talking too much during sets. Uh, for example, for me, I don't know if people take gym. I don't know if people have the same relationship that I have with the gym. It's going to sound a bit weird, but gym to me is actually a little bit spiritual mm. and it's very personal. Gym okay. gives me confidence. Gym helps me feel like a human. Gym, as I said on the previous episode, when I, had, when I didn't have a job, when I was on benefits, when I didn't have a car, I used to take the 370 bus from Ockenden to Upminster. That's about a 45-minute mm. bus ride. Rain, snow, whatever, I'm going. There was a time I even went there and the gym was shut and I'd taken my pre-workout. So I'm spazzing out. Mm. On the bus, I get to the gym, the, <laughs> the gym shut, but it's fine. But 
long and story long and short of it is to me i like to have a little com- conversation hey how are you yeah cool cool let me crack on yeah don't talk while i'm trying to do my set with all due respect but it's just sometimes tough for me because someone could tell me oh his nan's just died or something really personal i'm like fuck's sake i need to give this guy something. Oh, yeah that sucks yeah. but i'm trying to yeah trying to train it's here just and yeah some people do talk a bit too much sometimes too much, yeah. and i mean I guess that depends on what kind of person you are at that point. Because obviously I used to work at the gym that you used to go to. And the problem with when you work at a gym is you can't really train there. Because when you're training there, people are going to come up to you and they talk to you, which is fine because they're very friendly with you and that's great. But like you just said, there's times where you're like, can you just like go away for a minute? How about with the filming? You know, like these days, a lot of people are content creators. They're like online fitness entrepreneurs. They have to film their workouts and put it on Instagram, TikTok to Mm. build their business. Do you find it annoying whereby you, you're sitting there trying to train and then there's someone next to you who's like posing in the camera or like you're being conscious of not being in the video? So me personally, I've got a different view on this than most would because I'm one of the people now where I will film things in gym and I film content for either for myself or for other people as a business and I'm getting paid for it. I think the main thing you need to do if you're someone that's doing the filming, find yourself a corner in the gym where there's not really going to be any people there. Try and find the quietest place where you can film and do what you want and there's not going to be any distraction in your video. How about if it's a public gym though? Well, that's fine. That's fine. Like a pure gym or public gym, just there's usually, if if you're going at peak time to do filming, you're going to have a tough time. Like you shouldn't, ideally you shouldn't do that. If you can choose and you're going to do filming, know when the quietest time in the gym is and go then because you're going to have the most freedom. But I think the main thing is, is to be respectful of all the other members because just because you're there with a camera doesn't mean you're better than anyone else. And if anything, you should be catering for other people where I, for example, will not, I'll set up a shot that I think is already quiet. If there's someone in the background or someone that could be in the background, I'm going to ask them first and be like, look, I'm just filming myself here. You're not, you're not the subject of the video. I'm not intending to video you. Are you okay with being in the background? If they say no, I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm going to try and work something out. I'm going to try and maybe close off the angle a bit more or I'm just going to go find a different spot. I can't, I mean, you can't film someone without their permission anyway. So you need to check that everyone's okay with it. It can be a bit annoying at times, but in my mind, if you're going there to film in a public place, it's the least you could do just to make sure people are comfortable. Because I mean, for example, how many people go to the gym where they want to lose a lot of weight, they don't like how they look. Last thing they want is to be in the background of your video where someone, because people on the internet are horrible, someone could zoom in on them and make them feel bad about it when they just want to improve themselves. So as someone doing the filming, you should be as considerate as you can to everyone in your vicinity. When it comes to if someone's filming near me, I will make a conscious effort to get out of the way. But that's, but I don't mind that because like I said, I'm usually on the other side of the camera as well. Um, I understand at some point where some people can get upset with other people filming in a gym because not everyone knows why. I mean, for example, the older generation, they're going to see you filming in the gym, be like, what are you doing? Vanity. Yeah, like a vanity thing, like you're up your own ass. But they've got no idea that, you know, that could be an influencer who's banking a ridiculous amount of money every month of a brand deal. They've got no idea. And that's fine, but you should just, you don't have to move. Don't move. But if you're uncomfortable to film, I feel like you should just let them know politely, but like, look, I don't really want to, I would move if I could, I can't. Do you mind moving a little bit or do you mind just waiting until I finish my set? And the person doing the filming should say, no problem, they should. How about when you deal with like those difficult gym characters? Because I could think of quite a few that I remember from my gym, whereby they're almost always angry, mm-hmm. almost always antisocial, always have the headphones on. If you're like, hey, excuse me, bro, I'm filming. They just like pretend like they don't see you, even though I know you're looking at me and, mm-hmm. and I know you're looking at the camera. How do you navigate such characters? 
I mean, I've been in a, I'm lucky in a situation where the only places I've done my filming in a gym are gyms that are kind of built for an influencer type of people. So usually the places I go to film, they're quite used to seeing other people film. So it's usually not that bad. But if there is a situation where I need to talk to someone because they're in the shot and I just want to let them know they're in the shot and that there's no problem with it on my end, as long as they're okay with it, if they're being quite antisocial and not very friendly, I'm just going to take that on the chin and be like, okay, that's your problem, not mine. I'm going to move. I'm going to move or just do it in a different way. Like this, if you're good at, if you're good at the filming, you can just change how your setup is and you can avoid that anyway. You might not get the ideal shot you want, but it's fine. Like, I just really think that the members of the gym who aren't filming themselves really should take precedent over the people that are coming in to film content. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the biggest influencer in the world. You need to be considerate of other people when it comes to them being in your video because it's just not fair. They're unaware. They've not consented to it. You, you shouldn't. That's, a, that's just how I think it is, personally. Consent. Consent, it's, I think. Consent is just a massive thing. It's, it's not that hard as well. Just let them know. Like, you know, I'm just doing some filming. Are you all right with that? No? That's fine. Take that word out of the gym as well, guys. When you're in a club, don't just talk to, don't just touch any girl. Don't, like, consent is massive. And I think a lot of us guys, we are not cognizant and we don't really think, mm. especially if you're drunk or if you're in a gym or if you're with your boys. I know it's slightly off topic, but it's something that's really, really passionate to me, mm. the whole topic of consent. But anyways, let's bring it back to... It's just, it's just a nice thing to do, isn't it? Like yeah. just, just to ask people, are you okay with me doing this? And especially, for example, if you're a influencer who's doing filming in a gym for your social media, what you'll find is if you're just asking people in the background, are you okay with me filming? Nine times out of 10, they're actually going to ask you like what you're doing in a friendly way. They'll be like, okay, but you know, what are you doing? They Why are you doing you. this? They might follow you. They might be, if you're an online coach and you're just filming stuff for your people, and you say to someone in the background, you know, just you mind giving me your consent to be in a video. They might say, okay, what are you doing? And then that person might want an online coach. Now you've just badged yourself another customer anyway. So I think it's a very, the gym is meant to be a safe space. Mm. Make it as safe as you can. Make Go out of your way to make it safe, especially if you're doing a filming because you're technically doing something that other people might deem not safe. The least you could do is let them know, you know, safe space, do you mind? Is everything okay? This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. Are you interested? And you never know. That's true. That's true. Mm. Let's talk about food. I personally hate the word diet because whenever <laughs> someone says diet, I always like visualize, oh, just bland chicken, chicken and rice and broccoli. rice and broccoli because you're going on holiday for like <laughs> six weeks. But as an avid gym goer, as someone who's played sport, as someone who's done the powerlifting, what sort of food do you eat and what sort of food do you recommend people should stay on? Obviously, we're human, meaning we might have days where we fancy chocolate, we fancy yeah. a burger. Like, how do you balance eating clean? and living a lifestyle so the thing is with me is i'll i'll never lie about it and i'll be honest where i don't i know what you should and shouldn't eat but i'm not this kind of person that's going to say i need to eat these meals these days i need to hit this calorie this every day yeah i'm not i don't take it that seriously because i'm in a pleasant enough position where i'm not like competing to go on stage or anything or i'm not like a national athlete that needs to watch this i'm just a regular guy who likes to look half decent so very decent man. thank you very much but what i do is I'll understand where if I'm going to pick out one day, which is completely fine. If you want to eat something and you're craving something, just eat it. It's What's not, your favorite junk food? My favorite oh, it's jerk chicken and rice, man. This, this Caribbean shop's opened up next to my station, which is unheard of in my area. And I've been going there lately. It's so good. Is but, that dirty though? Chicken and rice? You're proper It's not though, is it? But then I always I like, say like fish and chips. Well, I'll go in there for a jerk chicken and rice, but then I'll leave with like five patties. <laughs> not that great. But it's completely fine to have a cheat meal or just pig out every now and then as long as you understand that that will if you care about your image a lot it will affect it a little bit so what i'll do is if i'm very happy with my body at the moment and i want to eat some junk food i'm like cool i can eat that but then 
it's probably a good idea for me to maybe do a bit of, bit more cardio this week, wherever I play a bit more basketball, maybe go to another fight class or just I don't know, go on a stairmaster for a bit more. I understand that if I'm going to eat junk food on, let's say, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I, it's a good idea to eat as healthy as I can and do as much exercise as I can to balance it out. Burning off those... Well, burn off the surplus calories you've just consumed. It's nothing wrong with consuming it, but if you're consuming it all and thinking, no problem, and everything's going to be fine, it's, it's, it doesn't work like that. Like, if you're going to eat more junk food, you should probably do more exercise. If you're going to eat less, you don't need to do as much exercise. That's, in my mind, because I don't study nutrition and go into it as deep as most other people, I just think of it as a scale. You do more on this end, you should probably do more on this end. Like, if, if as soon as one goes unbalanced, then you're either going to start losing weight and being very kind of near malnourished or you're going to go the opposite way you're going to be overeating you're going to get a bit more podgy which is nothing wrong with that but if you don't like that that's why so but clean eating wise red meat probably twice a week i quite like personally whether it be burgers or steak um but usually every day it's chicken i eat a lot of eggs um in the morning i have my my morning routine breakfast is two eggs with egg whites on toast with some avocado spreaded on top of it healthy Healthy, tastes good. Stick some hot Pyrenees sauce on it as you well. Bored of it every morning? No, like a robot. I don't. I don't because it's easy. It takes like five ten minutes to cook, and like in the morning I wake up, I'm all groggy. I just want to do the easiest thing before I have to go work. So that's the easiest thing I do. But in my treat, because I do like a treat, is when I get to the office in London. There's like bakeries everywhere. I'll get like an almond croissant. I love those. So good. And it's like it's not it's not exactly great for you. It's not terrible for you, but it's a treat. But then I'll go to the gym at lunch and. I guess I'll burn it off. But that's a treat. That's not too bad. If I'm going to, because I'm in London, if I like taking a client out and I'm going to go crazy and eat loads of junk food, then I'll understand for the next two or three days, you're probably up to training a little bit. But that's just how I see it. You can you can view it in a much more strict way if you want, but I feel like that plays on your mental a bit. If you can't enjoy your food, I feel like you're just, I don't agree with not enjoying food. You should enjoy mm. food. If you're competing, I understand. But if you're just a regular human being, you shouldn't be punishing yourself with chicken, rice, and broccoli every day. Like, just enjoy yourself sometimes. There's nothing wrong with it. So I'm going to ask you a question from another selfish perspective. Mm. I go to the gym. My dad doesn't go to the gym. He's actually obese. Mm. And I know why he's obese. One, he eats, I think, twice a day. Mm. And he almost always eats junk food. He works seven days a week. Not five days a week, seven days a week. Okay. So if you were to give advice to someone like him who rarely has time to eat, always on the go, mentally drained, stressed, overworked. What could he eat or what could he change in his lifestyle to reduce his body fat? Well, I mean, he's working seven days a week and that's going to be very taxing on you. Uh, what does he do for work? Is he in an office or he, does he move around a lot? He's in an office. He's in an office, so he's not moving that much at work. Yeah, so if he's like just sitting at a desk every day, he's not doing barely Nothing any, physical. Nothing physical and that's that's a problem. So if you're eating junk food and then theoretically not moving around that much during the day, you're going to have a tough time. Ideally, the best thing, because I like to do things in the easiest way possible, the best thing I can say is if you can devote one day, like some people do a Sunday afternoon where you've got the most time, cook like a meal prep. Um, I don't know if you've got like an air fryer or if you can just bulk, um, bulk prepare food at home, stick in containers, take that with you to work. That'll make your life a lot easier because then at least you're not eating junk food throughout the day at work. And then you could also prep for when you come home. Save money as well, probably. Save money as well because eating junk food, that's like, that can be anywhere between 10 to 30 quid a day. That's, that's a lot. If you eat healthy, you could probably do like 250 to a five or a day max and you're probably eating quite a lot. So I think if you're someone who works every day, 
you need to find some sort of time to cook your food. What I personally do is when I wake up in the morning, because I've got an air fryer, I'll just stick a chicken breast in the air fryer, let that cook while I'm cooking my breakfast. By the time I finish eating, the chicken's ready, stick it in a container, and then that's me done for the day with you know rice and whatever, anything else I take. But you need to find a routine where you can get your food ready for the day so that you're not in a situation where you're like, I've got no food, I need to order something. Because then you're just going to order whatever tastes good, which is nothing wrong with, but if you're doing it every day, problems. Yeah. So I would just advise, if he's working every day, I imagine he doesn't have that much time to exercise. Everyone does have time to exercise, but after work, you don't want to do it because you drained. Before work, you might train, but I personally find if I train before work, then when it gets to midday, I'm just sluggish and I want to sleep. If you can train at lunch, happy days. If you can't, then is what it is. But as long as your diet's okay, you're going to be okay. So just finding time to cook your meals saves a lot of time as well because when you come home, you can just stick in a microwave and you're done rather than having to wait 30 minutes for your delivery driver. And it's just going to be the best way for you to, well, not overeat and not do anything. One thing we touched on during the traumatic topic of your knee injury and all mm. the blood was mobility and you having to move it. I've heard something called the move it or use it. No, use it or lose it idea whereby if you don't use something, you eventually lose it. Like, I don't know, if you don't stretch, if you don't, I don't stretch enough and I've got lower back pain. Mm. What is the importance of mobility and stretching? Not just as a powerlifter, not just as a bodybuilder, but for everyone, a mom, a dad, what it, you know? how would you say... Stretching and mobility is uh, helping. Yeah, stretching and mobility is just going to make everyday things so much easier, which you don't notice until you're in a situation where things aren't easy. I mean, how many times do you get up from a chair and you, and you groan? You're like, because mm. it, and that's a real thing, and that's because you're not very mobile. You're all stiff. You're you're not flexible at all. And I mean, I'm I'm bad for it as well. I don't stretch much at all. I might foam roll after a leg session, but even then it's every now and then if I can be bothered and I do feel the effects of it. But for example, someone who is, who's got kids, like young kids, if you're not very mobile, then just bending down to pick up your child is going to be quite an ordeal and you need to do that because it's your child. So I feel like for everyday, just standard human activities, you should, whenever you can, stretch maybe do a little bit of foam rolling. You don't have to have like an hour long stretch session, but just every now and then just touch your toes, do a squat and hold the squat for a little bit. Um, try and stretch your hips out when you can. The more you do, the better you're going to feel. But if you just let yourself get really stiff, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel a lot older than you really are. And then unfortunately, when you start getting older, your body's going to then get older than it really is. And you, you might be like 40 or 50 and not be able to do much at all. Whereas as we know, when we've seen in the gym before, you've got people that are 60, 70 and they're more mobile than us. That's true. What's that game again? Uh, Jenga. Um, mm. There's a time whereby I had something wrong, I think, with my neck, and it turns out it's something from my glutes. Yeah. So whereby, I don't know, it's probably a bad analogy, but Jenga, you pull out something and it affects Takes everything else. Yeah. yeah. People don't realize, I never realized that something from your feet could affect your neck, something mm. from your neck could affect your hands. Like, we don't realize the body's so connected, like yeah. everything is kind of tied in together. So it's crazy how, like, your right glute could be too tight and that's mm. affecting your well, the whole of your back mm. and then now your right leg's stiff because your right leg's, your right glute is all stiff and it mm. is crazy it's when nuts. you think about it. Yeah. It's nuts. So if you can just, just give yourself, I call it just a little wiggle, just give yourself a little wiggle every day where you might just do some twists, bring your leg up, just, it doesn't have to be a long stretch session but just something and you'll start to notice a difference after maybe like a week or two. Did you get massages? I tried to as much as I can. When I was going through rehab, I was getting a massage every week minimum um, which was painful as hell but it, benefits you so much if i have a new injury 
like, I don't know if you remember, like, two, three months ago when I'd done my neck in and I couldn't physically look left or up. Like, my neck was basically frozen. I went for a physio for that and they sorted me out. I think having physio sessions, even if you're not injured, is a very good idea. But as we know, that costs money and not everyone can afford to do that. Health is wealth, though. Health is wealth. If you can, if you're in a comfortable situation where if you wanted to see a physio, like, maybe once a month even... I highly recommend it. Just get them to do what they call an MOT, where they do basically everything for you. Um, you'll feel so much better for it, even if you don't stretch much yourself. If you can just go see them to let them basically do it for you and tell you what's wrong with your body, what's a bit too tight, what's a bit too loose, then it, it just benefits your life so much better. Do you see physio quite often? or uh, Physio for my knees and for my shoulder, I've stopped. Mm. But I do want to do more massages and I also want to do yoga. Um, I used to go to classes of it and I actually felt better because mm. I was using muscles I didn't even know I had in like my groin and because you have to do these awkward positions of like balancing and it was, yeah, yoga and then Pilates mm. at one point. I never really trained my core and I realized I was having lower back pain because I don't train my core. Okay. Back to the point of what we made of things being interrelated. So yeah, massages and yoga for me personally, I think are things I need to incorporate more. And I've given myself a goal. It's the same goal I had last year, and I didn't achieve it. I've touched my toes by the end of the year. Mm. Didn't achieve it? No, I didn't no? last year, so I've got to try again this year. You know, <laughs> Was that like standing down to your toes? Or standing up right. and then just bending down and touching my toes. My mum could do it. My mum's in the 60s, and she could do it. I'm like, bro, I'm half her age, and I'm... Fuck, I'm I get it. It's a long way down. It's, <laughs> it's not that long. I'm, sure. I'm only a midget, so uh, yeah. Thank you so much, Jordan, for the insight, for the knowledge. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm really grateful for you sharing your experience, your wisdom, and also your story with your knee, and also teaching me and our listeners how to perform powerlifting and the benefits, the functionality of it. Thank you, everyone, for watching another episode of Forge Ahead podcast. We only present you sexy people, as we, <laughs> as we have done again. Please like, comment, subscribe, leave comments. Let's have some more engagement. Let's have some conversations. Tell us what you've enjoyed about the show and what you didn't enjoy and what you'd like to see more of because we only do this for you guys. Jordan, any parting words before we close? Um, if you go for an injury, don't worry about it. Things are going to get better. Keep your head strong. You will be okay. If you want to eat junk food, eat what you want. It's fine. You're going to be okay. Just maybe do a bit more training afterwards, but don't feel bad for eating food. Apart from that, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Catch you on the next episode.